And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Attention, people of Earth. Do not resist us. All who oppose us shall be annihilated. We command the most powerful army of monsters in the universe. They are sure to defeat your Earth monsters. All those who are hearing this are now under the control of the Earth Destruction Directive. and happy Halloween! Welcome to Earth Destruction Directive, and it is a very special Gaiden Halloween episode this time out. We're not going to be taking a look at the normal roundup of Japanese giant monsters. We've got a different Japanese monster to take a look at today because we're going to be taking a look at the second of Toho's bloodthirsty trilogy, Lake of Dracula. That's right, it's that time of year, it's October, all the ghosts and goblins start coming out on the 31st, and we're going to be uh, taking part here today with a, a, you know, our special guide and episode. So, Lake of Dracula, whose Japanese title is Noroi no Yakata Chiosu Mi, literally, Cursed Manor, the Blood-Sucking Eyes, was released to Japanese theaters by Toho on June 16th, 1971. Hey, that's my birthday. A little early, but it's still my birthday. And then to American theaters in August of 1973. UPA later released a shortened English dub version of the film to television in the United States under the title The Lake of Dracula in 1980. This is the second entry in director Michio Yamamoto's Bloodthirsty Trilogy, following on from The Vampire Doll, which was from the previous year. Please go back and check out Gaiden episode 26 to hear about The Vampire Doll. Our writers, we have two credited writers. The first is A. Ogawa. Uh, best known as a longtime writer for a detective series in Japan called Roar at the Sun, uh, but also did write the other two films in this series, Vampire Dolls, I said, and then the next one, which is Evil of Dracula, and also wrote a pretty well-known, uh, well at least I've heard about it a few times, an ESP-themed thriller called Espy, and then amazingly, he also wrote Space Amoeba. <laughs> we'll get to Space Amoeba eventually here. Um, the other writer is uh, Masaru Takasu, uh, has a few writing credits. He does uh, also work on Evil of Dracula. Uh, but for context, for this show, um, Takasu wrote four episodes of Toho's Kyodai Hero series, Zone Fighter, which was right around the same time, a little bit later than this. These special effects are by Teruyushi Nakano, who again goes uncredited. Um, he's, at this point, was the head of the uh, special effects department at Toho, well known for all of his work uh, in the late 60s, early 70s, into the 80s on various uh, Toho films. Um, our director, as I said, is Michio Yamamoto. Uh, between this film and its two trilogy mates, this had Vampire Doll and the Evil of Dracula, that's what he's probably best known for, but he was more of a thriller director. 
and preferred to work in, in that genre, thriller and crime type stories. Amusingly, he directed the thriller in uh, 1970 called Terror in the Streets, and that was actually released on a double feature with Vampire Doll. So I, I, I saw that last time on Vampire Doll, and I saw it again. It's like, that still cracks me up. It's like two Yamamotos for the price of one right there. Very good. Uh, our producers, first up is Fumio Tanaka. Um, Tanaka, no relation to Tomoyuki Tanaka, who we're going to talk about in a second. Uh, Tanaka actually started out as an assistant producer at Toho in the mid-60s, uh, had a background as a horror and fantasy novelist before getting into film, uh, moved into the full production role by uh, 1969. Um, it, what's interesting, talking about the connections with uh, Aogawa, is that um, besides these films, Tanaka, Fumio Tanaka also produced SB and produced Space Amoeba. So that was kind of the, the crew that, that he liked to work with. Also the producer on War in Space. So shout out to Jimmy from NASA, uh, the War in Space. Tomoyuki Tanaka, hard to make a uh, Toho movie in the in this era without mentioning him, the longtime producer at Toho. Uh, pretty much uh, had something to do with all of their genre efforts from the start of the Showa period right up until uh, he passed away in uh, 1997. So unsurprising, always uh, kind of like uh, traditional to see Tomoyuki Tanaka involved here. All right, so our synopsis today comes from Wikizilla. It's been broadly adapted. Uh, that synopsis is very detailed, so I'm going to smooth line it a little bit. And so our story goes a little something like this. Five-year-old Akiko Kashiwagi is playing with a group of her friends by the ocean in a harbor town on the Noto Peninsula of Japan. As the sun sets, Akiko's friends leave, but she stays behind. Suddenly, Akiko's dog Leo runs off and she gets chased. She follows the dog to a creepy European mansion, where an old man stares at her as she chases after the dog inside. Akiko then finds herself in front of a dead woman at a piano, and then meets a pale-skinned, golden-eyed ghoul who appears to be a vampire. Eighteen years later, Akiko is a schoolteacher currently staying in a house near Lake Fujimi with her younger sister Natsuko. Akiko takes her German shepherd, also named Leo, for a walk down to the boathouse by the lake where she greets the proprietor, Kiyosaku, a kindly older man. While they talk, Leo begins to run away, giving Akiko a brief flashback to the trauma she experienced all those years ago. A delivery truck from a company called Nishihara Transport then pulls up to the boathouse, dropping off a large box. Kiyosaku asks who the box is for, but the driver only says that he was instructed simply to leave it here. Kiyosaku, promising to stop by to fix Akiko's door later, manages to bring the package inside and open it, only to find a coffin. Akiko returns to her house, where Natsuko mentions that the painting Akiko just finished, depicting a sunset except with a gigantic golden eye in place of the sun. Natsuko tells Akiko she should stop obsessing over that nightmare, and says that her boyfriend would not like knowing that she is still fixated on it. Back inside the boathouse, Kiyosaku attempts to call the transportation company about the package, saying that the label only said, quote, from Dracula via Nishihara Transport, but he gets nowhere. He walks back to the coffin and opens it, finding it empty. Just then, he is grabbed from behind and attacked by a mysterious man. That night, Akiko's boyfriend, Takashi Seiki, a doctor at a nearby university hospital, visits her and Natsuko. As Takashi is leaving to work the night shift, Akiko says it is strange that Kyusaku did not show up and has Takashi drive her down to the boathouse. At the boathouse, she calls out for Kyusaku, only to see a man slowly begin to enter the room. As the stranger stares into her eyes, Akiko becomes horrified as she recognizes him as the same monstrous man from her childhood nightmare. Akiko quickly flees. 
The next day, as Akiko and Natsuko go into town to shop, Natsuko concludes that Kyusaku was busy when Akiko came by, while the man she saw was just a stranger who happened to be at the boathouse. Akiko calls Takashi at the hospital and suggests they go out to dinner while she's in town, but just then, Takashi is informed they need to stay at the hospital to see a new patient. The patient is a local farmer's teen daughter who had run away from home and was found on the side of the road near the lake. The unresponsive girl demonstrates no noticeable injuries save for two small puncture wounds on her neck. Takashi suggests that she be given a blood transfusion and says they will have to wait until she wakes up. Akiko and Natsuko return to the lake house but find that Leo is missing. Akiko wanders off to look for him, only to find Leo bloody and dead in a patch of grass. As Akiko kneels over her dead pet, Kyusaku approaches her from behind, violently attacking her and bringing her to the boathouse. Kyusaku sets Akiko down on the table, and a mysterious man approaches her. However, both men vanish when two fishermen happen to arrive at the boathouse. At the hospital, the girl awakens and walks out of her room. Takashi overhears the commotion and sees the girl walk out of the hospital and begin descending an exterior stairwell, with the shadowy man from the boathouse waiting for her down the street. A security guard tries to chase the girl, but she falls over the railing to her death on the street below. When Akiko returns home, she finds no sign of Natsuko, and the door in the kitchen, leading to the outside, swinging open wide. Akiko calls Takashi in a panic, explaining about Leo and that Kyusako tried to rape her, but Natsuko suddenly grabs her hand. Natsuko convinces Takashi over the phone that everything is fine, and Takashi tells him that he will be over in the morning. When Akiko explained what has happened to her sister, she is strangely unconcerned and promptly walks upstairs, leaving Akiko confused. That night, Akiko is unable to sleep and looks out her bedroom window, only to see Natsuko wandering in the woods. Akiko runs outside and chases after her. Akiko finally gives up and returns to the house. When Natsuko walks down to the beach and meets a shadowy man from the boathouse, she embraces him, after which he bites down in her neck with, her, with his fangs. The next morning, Takashi arrives at the house to find Akiko visibly disturbed. Akiko asks Natsuki why she left the house, but Natsuku, Natsuko denies doing so. Akiko and Takashi go to the boathouse to confront Kiyosaku, but he claims to have no memory about attacking her. She asks who the man was that she saw in the boathouse, but he only replies that it is his master. Akiko and Takashi then return to the house, where Takashi manages to fix the door. He tells Akiko she will be safe, and that he will stay with her all night. The phone then rings with Natsuko answering it. She tells Takashi that the hospital called and wants him to work the night shift urgently. Takashi says he will stay with Akiko anyway, but she insists that she will be fine and urges him to leave as a storm is coming. When Akiko goes back inside, she, she finds the lights off and is grabbed by the arm by Natsuko and brought face to face with the man from her nightmare. The man compliments Akiko's painting, particularly admiring the fear shown by the painter. Natsuko mocks Akiko, saying that their parents always loved her more, but now she would no longer be living in her shadow. The man attacks Akiko, but she manages to get away and hide upstairs. She conceals herself in a closet and sees the man enter the room and seemingly leave after not locating her. Peering through the closet door, Akiko looks into a mirror across the room and sees no one in the reflection. As soon as Akiko exits the closet, she is grabbed by the man. Looking back at the mirror, she notices that her attacker also casts no reflection. Meanwhile, Takashi is driving his car through the storm when suddenly Kiyosaku attacks him from the back seat. The men struggle in and eventually out of the car, where Kiyosaku is startled by a nearby lightning strike and promptly drops dead. Takashi goes back to the house, arriving just before the man can bite Akiko. The stranger flees as Takashi enters the house. Akiko then throws her painting into the fireplace, where it is burned. Takashi and Akiko then discover Natsuko lying on the beach near death. While driving to the hospital, Natsuko begs her sister to cremate her body as soon as she dies. 
Natsuko dies before they make it to the hospital. Her body's prepared for an autopsy, with Takashi wanting to know what caused her death. In the autopsy room, Natsuko suddenly rises from the dead and attacks a nurse, biting her on the neck and escaping. Upon finding the nurse, Takashi tells the other hospital staff to give her a blood transfusion, and then takes Akiko into a laboratory. Takashi explains that he believes some tales about vampires from around the world to be true, and points to the novel Dracula, which discusses many of the traits of vampires. He asks Akiko to remember her nightmare, using hypnosis to try and get her to remember the details. While under hypnosis, Akiko retraces most of the nightmare and finally realizes it was not a nightmare at all, but actual events. When she told her parents, they insisted that it was just a nightmare, and out of desperation to please them, she convinced herself the same. This in turn led to her parents paying more attention to her than Natsuko, explaining Natsuko's jealousy. Takashi decides that they will have to go to Akiko's hometown to find the house and learn the truth once and for all. After arriving in Akiko's hometown, she and Takashi find the beach where Leo ran off. Retracing her steps, they find the delivery truck that brought the coffin to the lake. Takashi investigates, finding the driver's dead body inside. Finally, they come upon the old house. Inside, Takashi makes a sound on the piano, just like the dead woman's arms did, which finally reminds Akiko of the vampire descending the stairs. She recalls that before the vampire could get her, the old man helped her and Leo escape. They ascend the staircase and enter a room, where they see the old man sitting at a desk with his back to them. Takashi approaches the man and tries to get his attention by touching his hand, only for the man's decayed flesh to peel off before the corpse falls to the floor. Takashi picks up the man's journal and reads aloud an entry from 18 years ago. In it, the man explains that his family is not Japanese. Rather, his family knew that their family carried the bloodline of a vampire. And while it spared him and his father, he still knew that eventually vampires would manifest again in one of his descendants, and thus built this house in an isolated area. As a man's son began to show traits of vampirism at the age of 25 when he killed the woman he loved and drank her blood. The old man was able to save a little girl and her dog, who wandered into the house, but could not save himself from his son, who bit him and drew his blood as well. The man, before succumbing to blood loss, locked his son away while he still had some of his humanity left. Suddenly, the vampire enters the room and says that after his father locked him away, he died, only to come back to life. When Akiko wandered into this house 18 years ago, he immediately knew that he wanted her to be his bride. That's kind of weird. Takashi tries to fight the vampire, but is no match for his superior strength. Natsuko rises from a nearby coffin, now a vampire as well. Takashi and Akiko try to flee into the hallway, but the vampire crashes through a window and traps him, pinning Takashi against a wooden railing which begins to crack under the strain. Before the vampire can finish Takashi, the old man, transformed into a vampire by the son's bite, grabs him by the ankle, causing him to fall backwards into the railing, crashing to the floor below. Impaled on a large portion of the wooden railing, the vampire struggles and screams in agony as his body begins to rapidly and gruesomely decay. Natsuko then collapses to the ground, returning to her former beautiful appearance, rather than the undead creature she had become. The old man smiles and expires, his appearance returning to that of when he was alive as well. Below, the vampire is reduced to a charred skeleton. Who boy, yeah, you know, much like Vampire Doll before it. Like a Dracula, it's a big change of pace, both from Toho and as well from Earth Destruction Directive Podcast, so I think we should probably get right into the notes. Now, it's tough to talk about Lake of Dracula without also talking about the Vampire Doll. Now, that film was a success for Toho, at least to the point that producer Fumio Tanaka put the follow-up into production with essentially the same crew the following year. The screenplay for that second film was originally titled The Phantom Vampire, 
and it reflected a lot of what Tanaka wanted in it, including a desire to have the film also be set around a spooky Western-style house. Uh, now, while The Vampire Doll, and we talked about this on the episode, something of a compromise between a horror film and Yamamoto's preferred genre of thriller, Fumio Tanaka pushed harder this time to make the film a more traditional gothic horror, in the vein, no pun intended, or was it? of Hammer's Dracula series, which was winding down by this stage in 1971. With this as its origin, the similarities of Vampire Doll are unsurprising given the similarities in the crew, but you can also see the reason for the changes given different motivation. Now, generically speaking, horror is a genre whose generic elements can lean one of two ways. There are certainly generic items which identify a film as horror, and we have some of those here. Now, vampires, of course, but also the old dark house, coffins, and nightmares. Now, of course, not every film featuring these items is horror, but they are commonly found in horror stories. Now, conversely, horror is also defined generically by the elicited response from the viewer, namely, to make the viewer scared or uneasy. The other genre that's like this, of course, is comedy, which just wants to make the viewer laugh. Lake of Dracula certainly demonstrates this uh, you know, elicited response generic definition as well. Given when it was made, the film is not really packed with jump scares or body horror, although the scene with the vampire's father's hand literally falling apart as Takashi pulls on his arm is certainly horrific, no doubt there, but there are scary images and choices that are made which push that way. The scene of the vampire Natsuko grabbing the nurse's arm on the autopsy table, or her rising out of her coffin in the finale, are both really well shot and effective. Similarly, the scene of our vampire seducing and embracing Natsuko, with the bright red tempera paint-style blood running down her neck, really quite effective. When Kiyosaku is attacked by the vampire, the deep shadows and contrasting lights make for a classic gothic horror set piece. And talking about Kiyosaku, when we see the dead body of Leo, I was immediately brought back, of course, to the, uh, uh, the dogs fighting in Profondo Rosso in deep red, so that alone is an unsettling and disturbing image. Even something as simple as the blood-red sky in Akiko's memory stands out and holds our attention. Ultimately, while there is a lot of story here, you heard it in the synopsis, characters come and go, Akiko is being menaced by vampires and their thralls and what have you, in the final analysis, Lake of Dracula relies more on the mood that it creates to be a compelling horror film. Now, between the visuals that Yamamoto and his team create and the performances of our cast, the entire package assembles itself into a very solid whole of a little horror movie. The most recognizable cast member is Shin Kishida, who plays the vampire. Probably best known to Earth Destruction Directive fans as Ken from Return of Ultraman, but also had a memorable turn as the Interpol agent Nambara in Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla a couple years down the road, 1974. Check out episodes 6 and 100 of Earth Destruction Directive to hear about that, although personally, I way more recommend episode 100. Kajita doesn't get much in the way of lines or screen time, but every time he's on screen, the combination of his physical acting and his makeup mean that he is completely arresting. From the very first time we see him, he makes an impact. Much like we have talked about in the show before, the vampire makeup is not necessarily striving for realism. Now, when I say realism in this context, what I picture in my mind is Christopher Lee's Dracula, right? Kashida's vampire, with his blue skin and optically enhanced golden eyes, tacks in a much different direction one that is just as memorable and wondrous. A really pleasing turn here, and as most of us know, the success of a monster movie generally rests on its heavy, and Kushida performs admirably in that role. 
Amusingly enough, Kushida returns as the vampire in Evil of Dracula, but not as the same character. Well, there you go. Akiko is played by Midori Fujita, who, according to IMDb, this is her debut, but that may or may not be accurate. Sometimes with foreign um, or non-American actors and actresses, the date is a little spotty. In any event, she does not have many credits, with all but one of them coming in either 1971 or 1972. That said, I think Fujita does well with her role. The heroine in a horror movie often not tasked with much other than being scared, and she acquits herself nicely in that role. I must say that Fujita does not have as much of a range of expressions as Keio Matsuo, who played the heroine Keiko in Vampire Doll. Although, uh, Fujita does get a few chances to shine, including the final reel with the vampire's father, and in fact, that whole final reel in general. Takashi is played by Choi Takahashi, who looked vaguely familiar to me while I was watching the film, but I couldn't place him. It turns out that he played the character of Ryu in the series Star Wolf. That's right. He's Rocky from Fugitive Alien and Star Force Fugitive Alien 2. Now, Takahashi has a lot of other credits, mix of TV and movies across a lot of genres. This looks to be his main horror credit. Uh, Takahashi here, he reminds me a lot of David Warbeck in The Beyond, uh, the Lucio Fulci movie. Uh, the doctor who's steadfast and refuses to accept the supernatural because he's a man of science, you know, that kind of thing. Given that The Beyond is a personal favorite of mine, I take this as a compliment. Sanai Ime plays Natsuko. Amazingly enough, she has even less credits than Midori Fujita, with only two other films before this one, for neither of which I could find any information, even a translated title. Now that doesn't stop her from being absolutely wonderful as Natsuko, both the coy and teasing younger sister, and then the cruel vampiress. Helps that she looks incredible in her vampire makeup. The scene of her with the fangs and the little smile she has, really, really nice. The last cast member I do want to mention is Kaku Takashina, who plays Kyusaku. Now, Takashina is a longtime Japanese character actor with over 160 credits to his name. It's mostly Chanbara and gangster stuff, but he did appear in 11 episodes of the Toei Tokusatsu series Robot Detective. Now, Robot Detective is about... well, I, I think you can probably figure that one out. He does great character duty here. He's equally convincing as the kindly older man looking out for the young lady to the dead-eyed brute who assaults her while under the vampire's thrall, including slapping Akiko across the face at one point. Yeesh. Really great performance in the secondary role here. Now, naturally, as I said, there are similarities to the vampire doll, given the crew involved and the production's background. But there are a couple of odd things which toe the line a little too well. First off, anytime someone is sitting in a chair with their back to the protagonist, at this point, we can safely assume that they are in fact dead. In two movies, we've had that trope three times. Similarly, I must assume that Iogawa was legitimately interested in hypnotism, as that becomes a plot point in both films. Ogawa also seems to like the idea of a vampirist being beautiful in death, as both Yuko in Vampire Doll and Natsuko here are described as such. Uh, Yamamoto must like throwing dummies off of things, because we get a dummy fall in both movies. Another oddity, the word vampire is first uttered in Vampire Doll at the 56-minute mark. Here, the word is said at minute 53. And finally, it would not be a Toho movie in the 1970s without a little stock footage. The scene of Akiko and Takashi driving to her hometown in the final reel is borrowed directly from a similar shot in Vampire Doll. Why shoot something new when you shot it last year? Overall, Lake of Dracula leans even harder into that European-style gothic horror aspect than Vampire Doll, and differentiates itself nicely in that manner. 
Now, despite being set in the modern day, the film avoids some of the, what I would call, modernist trappings, which Hammer was doing at this point, instead presenting a more straightforward vampire movie, albeit one with a unique setting. It does have a few spots where it bogs down a little bit, not an uncommon phenomenon for Japanese films in this era, at least for me as a Western viewer, but it keeps the viewer's interest throughout. The horror visuals and makeup are striking and effective. It doesn't break a whole lot of new ground, but if you have any interest in the traditional sort of vampire movie, I think you owe Lake of Dracula a screening. Now, if you would like to own Lake of Dracula, you are in luck. The Arrow Video Bloodthirsty Trilogy box is still available. It's all three movies. As I said, Vampire Doll, Lake of Dracula, and Evil of Dracula. It goes for around $28 on Blu-ray um, on Amazon. Great set. I picked that one up. It, it really does look wonderful. Very nice. Uh, looks nice on the shelf, too. So that that's the, the only real option you have for discs. Now, it is on Tubi TV, along with the other two Bloodthirsty Trilogy films. Now, that is free. It is ad-supported, but it is free. So if you are on the fence want to try something a little out of the ordinary for your Halloween viewing this year, fire up your Tubi machine and go check it out on there. So now I throw it to you, the listener. What do you think? Have you watched Lake of Dracula? Do you think it works better or worse than Vampire Dolls, a straight horror movie? How do you think it compares to the Hammer films from the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, or even the Universal movies from the 30s or 40s? Write in and let me know. I would love to hear about it. Directive at yahoo.com. I said this is atypical fare for us, so I'm very curious to see what the, everybody thinks. All right. Thank you, everybody. That's all I've got. Appreciate everybody downloading and listening to the show. I want to just say real quick, of course, Earth Destruction Directive is for everyone. If you're interested in Japanese giant monsters or apparently Japanese human-sized monsters uh, from this episode, you can interact with the show however you feel comfortable. All are welcome. You can email me at EarthDestructionDirective at Yahoo.com. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter. You can find the show on YouTube. Just search for Earth Destruction Directive. I'd love to hear from you. Hope everybody comes back for our next regular episode. I hope everyone enjoyed this special Halloween Gaiden episode. So until then, let me say thanks for listening. Keep them stomping. And happy Halloween. This has been Earth Destruction Directive, a Daikaiju podcast, produced and created by me, Luke Giaconetti, as part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, available at twotruefreaks.com. This is a fan work celebrating the history and culture of Japanese giant monsters. All movies, TV shows, comic books, characters, and other intellectual property is copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended or implied. If you would like to send an email to the show, you can email me at earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com. I try to respond to all emails, and if you send in some comments, I will read them on the show. All episodes of Earth Destruction Directive can be found at 2TrueFreaks.com. You can also find the show on your favorite podcatcher. Just search for Earth Destruction Directive. You can even leave a review on your podcatcher of choice if you'd like. You can find me on Facebook. Just search for first name Luke, last name EDD. You can also get in touch with me on Twitter. Just search for the handle at LJacone. That's L-J-A-C-O-N-E. The theme song for this podcast is Future Gladiator by Kevin McLeod downloaded from Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. Thanks for listening, and be sure to come back next time for more city-stomping fun here on Earth Destruction Directive.
Tune in next time to hear the crusty old podcaster from Oklahoma say, There's a WTF <laughs> moment if I ever saw one. <laughs>